Welcome back to Blender Kitchen, Kitchen Nerds. Um, last year, we really tried to bring you a Thanksgiving special, and fortunately, the universe spoiled us. But rest assured, we are back with quality content and our same favorite co host, Alex. Welcome, Alex. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Hopefully, this file doesn't get corrupted. <laughs> Hopefully, it's the one gift 2020 you can give us. Hey, I had some good stuff last year, and I don't remember anything that I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a new chance for new jewels. Fair disclaimer, dear nerds. Um, your girl had a delicious glass of wine with some amazing pizza, so this might be the most laissez-faire episode yet. But isn't that how Thanksgiving should be? I mean, like... That's exactly how it I should mean, be. The, the beautiful thing about Thanksgiving is it's just comfort food. It's simple meals. It's a great place to learn how to cook. So oh, yes. Thanksgiving should be laissez-faire. And this year, most of our recipes have been, like, very customizable. Like, do what you have with what you can when you will. So, like, it's very fitting that Thanksgiving should follow that same trend. Before we can talk turkey, we have to talk poultry. Poultry um, is any domesticated bird that's kept for meat, eggs, and feathers. This didn't mention bones, but, like, in today's hipster culture, we use bones for so many things. I'm going to go ahead and include bones. The English, the modern English word poultry comes from the old English word poultry, which comes from the old French word poultine, which, buckle down, it's like we're going way back. Poultine comes from the old, old French word poultier, meaning poultry dealer, which comes from the Middle English word poulet, or pullet undefined, which comes from the old French word pole, which comes from the Latin word polis, meaning young fowl, young chicken, young animal. Uh, fowl, which is a much easier word to follow, uh, comes from Old English fugel, from German vulgo, um, which literally just means bird, from Danish dugu. Uh, chickens are the oldest popular domesticated fowl. They were domesticated between 7,000 years before present and 10,000 years before present in northeastern China. However, these chickens were not cultivated for eating, but for fighting, mostly. Um, after chickens came ducks at 6,000 years before present in Yangshao, China. These were definitely for eating. Uh, geese came 3,000 years before present in Egypt. Guinea fowl 2,000 years before present in ancient Greece. And finally, turkeys were domesticated 3,000 to 2,000 years before present in South and Central Mexico, as well as the Pueblo peoples of the Colorado Plateau. But those chickens were are not like pop uh, turkeys. Those turkeys are not like one of the popular turkeys that we eat today. It's not the common turkey. Uh, turkey ladies are known as hens and turkey dudes 
that sounds weird to refer to a turkey as a dude. Very uncomfortable that I, like I chose it. to go that way. I like it. Um, turkey dudes are referred to as toms in the United States or stags in the UK and Ireland. And if I'm not wrong, don't the UK and Ireland refer to pretty much any male animal as a stag? Like, that's their, it feels like their favorite masculine pronoun. I mean, it's a very proud pronoun. I don't know. I mean, like, my, like, I know stags is deer and the stag party in the UK, which is our equivalent of the bachelor party. Um, but yeah, I, I think it it's worthy of a universal term. It makes it sound like very proper and like, I don't know, really good. Sought after cuisine. Uh, terminology like where does turkey come from and oh boy bumbling idiot Christopher Columbus makes an appearance once again does he have so to he, as- he has to unfortunately he's so tied in with basically all of our foods that it's a little wild so the Aztecs referred to turkeys as Ruzoloti, um, which is referred to in Spanish as Walajote, coming from the Latin word gallopavo, meaning literally chicken peacock, which, what a perfect way of describing turkey. They literally look like chicken peacocks. Uh, Turkey was confused with a different fowl entirely, the guinea fowl. This is a bird that was imported to Europe from the the country of turkey it was nicknamed the turkey cock or the turkey chicken um so when christopher columbus showed up and saw this bird he was like oh obviously it's that same bird that we had in turkey even though it's twice as large and doesn't fly um yeah so when it made its way to europe it was referred to as the indian turkey which, way to double down on just being wildly incorrect. <laughs> um, turkeys were domesticated in the common turkey. We said it was domesticated in South and Central Mexico, specifically Jalisco, Guerrero, uh, and Veracruz in today's Mexico. Other species of turkey were domesticated specifically in the Pueblo um, by the Pueblo people of the Colorado Plateau but again that's popular um, I can't think of any reason why except for that it wasn't on the west coast and therefore did not exist to the colonialists that arrived and so was not incorporated into modern American cuisine speaking of colonialists on the east coast i think i said west coast before that's incorrect it's definitely the east coast um they instituted what are what were known as days of thanksgiving these were ways of giving thanks for good things ways of atoning for bad things and were also used as days of fasting This is a tradition that the pilgrims and Puritans brought with them 
when they emigrated to America. Uh, Pilgrims and Puritans we tend to use pretty interchangeably, but they were actually two different religious groups of people, with the Pilgrims being more like social refugees and the Puritans being more religious refugees. There would have been many, many, many days of Thanksgiving. The most popular day of Thanksgiving occurred at Plymouth Rock, where most likely the Pawtucket and Wampanoag peoples taught the pilgrims how to survive a northeastern winter and not die of exposure or starvation like the Donner Party or so many other horror movie families, and provided the uh, pilgrims with supplemental food to keep them from starving because they hadn't yet learned how to farm the American shores and quite honestly had not come prepared for a winter because if you think about it the Netherlands and the United Kingdom are pretty wet throughout most of the year so there's never not a time that you can't grow something and that's edible whereas in on the eastern seaboard of the United States, there's like a solid five months where the ground is frozen solid and there's nothing that you can eat that grows out of it. Uh, Turkey was probably not served at the most popular day of Thanksgiving because the pilgrims had no way of cooking a bird that large. And uh, I can't imagine that such a rich protein would have been willingly shared by the Wampanoag peoples. Now, turkeys were not exclusively known only to the pilgrims, obviously. There were people here before them. Um, They were widely used by the Western and Southwestern Native Americans. They used turkey feathers for religious and ceremonial purposes. Um, And these turkeys were not necessarily farmed or penned, but they were definitely hunted and eaten. It's not clear if there were Native American tradition for something akin to the Pilgrim's Days of Thanksgiving. But given that turkey was so plentiful and um, the peoples that we do know of on the eastern seaboard were very family oriented, it makes sense that perhaps a large bird to feed several people uh, was hunted and prepared to feed several people, you know, because why would you not? Why, why would you not? Like, why would you make things harder? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also interesting because it's like we have this, the most wonderful concept, which is almost better than Thanksgiving dinner itself, which is Thanksgiving leftovers. And back in the day, you didn't really do leftovers like I mean, I mean, leftovers is well, like, is such a such a idea of abundance, and so I I know there is such a thing as chicken jerky, but like as far as preserving ew. leftover bird, um, so though also birds were a lot smaller back then than our wonderful, beautiful GMO turkeys nowadays. So yeah, it, it's a very interesting. <laughs> But also, like, refrigeration is an important part of leftovers, and refrigeration didn't really come about until the 20th century, not any reliable form anyway, and we were pickling a lot of meat, but I can't imagine that turkey was a 
protein that would withstand pickling in any form. And I think it would kind of just shrivel up if you tried to jerky it or smoke it. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I'm sure it's doable. I'm sure someone's come out with something that's actually edible, but what it- Dear listeners, it, if you have a recipe for turkey jerky, do DM us. I would be very interested in knowing how you make turkey jerky. I'm pretty sure- If I, it's possible. I'm pretty sure I found some for my dog. For human consumption. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what like that's an interesting too, thing too. We even feed our pets turkeys. Yeah, it's like such an integral part of the holiday. Yeah, I mean, it's it it is so weird. I mean, I I it must be some marketing thing that I'm not aware of that that came up that made turkey a part of Thanksgiving. Because I mean, if you think back to the OG Thanksgiving at Plymouth Rock, which who knows what actually really was happening there. I mean, you're talking about native people teaching immigrants um, a most oh, what a kind word. A, a mostly v- vegan diet because when it came to sure, we'll have we'll occasionally have venison, we'll occasionally have fowl or poultry. Um, someone might be lucky enough to snag a squirrel, but as far as the idea of an an animal being the centerpiece. um, Oh, definitely not. That just seems like in a time where you had to work for all of your protein, that seems like a wild waste, you know, to like present all of this protein in a single sitting. Yes. Yeah, that you cannot refrigerate, you cannot preserve. Yes. Yeah. Especially especially in a time when it, 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 everything was, if you hunted, it's so much work to get the animal dead and in front of you without rot that you use yeah. every piece of that animal. It's not just like, who wants a leg? All right, Tom, yeah. you get a leg. Like that that did. That's not, <laughs> it's not how it works. <laughs> some sources do say that there was definitely like some kind of what we would call pudding. Um stuck pass was probably served. Mm-hmm. Uh was probably served and some kind of smoked salmon because it's easy to roast. But it definitely wasn't the let's sit twenty people down at this table and stuff them silly with food. That they make sleep football dogs. Like, yeah. it was probably definitely we fasted for a week because we're starving, actually, but we don't want to call it starving. It's much nicer if we just say we're fasting. We didn't die through our first snowstorm. Let's celebrate not dying um, with this meal. So it definitely wouldn't have been like as large as we like to think it. It wouldn't have been like a Norman Rockwall Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's funny that you questioned why we associate uh, Thanksgiving with uh, Turkey. And a lot of that has to do with the federal government. Always. Now, thanks. <laughs> always, of course. Um. Thanksgiving didn't really become a federal holiday until November 1863. 
Now, there were a ton of different days of national Thanksgiving throughout Puritan early United States history. Um, And George Washington declared a day of Thanksgiving when the U.S. officially won independence from Britain, but there wasn't a set date until the Civil War. In November of 1863, Lincoln declared that the final Thursday of every November would be known as Thanksgiving Day. This day was originally known as Evacuation Day, which is the day that the British exited the United States, signaling the end of the Revolutionary War. In 1939, FDR changed it to the second to last Thursday in November. This is mainly for business reasons. Just businesses didn't want to close on the last Thursday. Uh, Just it's not great for bookkeeping. (laughs) They wanted to keep things open a little longer. And so it was changed to the second to last Thursday. And it was finally officially changed to the fourth Thursday of November in 1941. Uh, which is in the middle of World War II, which I thought was interesting because what if ever you need a time, a thing to bring a nation together in a time of great turmoil and when you're asking them to sacrifice greatly, it is to declare that today is a day of feasting (laughs) and it ever shall be henceforth, you know? Yeah. Um, As we said, early feast of thanksgiving probably included some type of fowl not turkey but turkey gained popularity as more and more people sat down for larger and larger meals because you can feed so many people with it and as refrigeration became more popularized it was a lot easier to serve copious amounts of food and not worry about waste which now we've reached a place where maybe we should worry about more food waste than we yeah Definitely. Um, turkeys were plentiful and easy to come by. Um, during the those original national days of Thanksgiving, when people first started to pick a turkey because they were feeding so many people, it was a great choice because it was one of the few animals that American uh, settlers or immigrants. Immigrants is so much better. It's like a more true description than settlers. Oh, yeah. Um, There are other words, but... (laughs) The... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so many, but this is still a family-friendly podcast. (laughs) Um, Immigrants typically only ate meat that played other duties. Like, all of their cows were used for dairy and then eventually for sale or for meat. All their chickens were used for egg and then eventually for sale or for meat. All of their pork was used exclusively for sale or for meat. Turkey was one of the first, like, luxury... Excuse me. Luxury... Yeah, so, as we were saying, turkeys were one of the first kind of luxury meats Mm -hmm. um, hunted only for food because if you think about it even if you hunt deer and this is purely from a European immigrant standpoint because the Native Americans understood the importance of honoring an animal by using all of it and not just throwing away what you thought was useless Um, so the European settlers anything else they hunted was also used in some manner 
uh, ermines were sold for fur. Deer was eaten as well as used for glue and for clothing and for all sorts of things. But turkey was the first thing where they were like, this we only eat. So, but we're like still like somewhere in the early 1900s, late 1800s. And as we said earlier, turkey wasn't one of the choice things on the menu. So how did we get to today with commercials for turkeys and an entire turkey hotline for your Thanksgiving Day troubles and capitalism? Private citizens. Oh, capitalism comes to ruin (laughs) the party yet again private citizens would give turkeys to the president for Thanksgiving. And I'm sure when they first started doing this, it was some way of the ultra-rich trying to curry favor with yeah, some sort the president. Of but we didn't officially begin presenting a national turkey to the president until 1947 under Truman. It was part of a lobbying effort by the National Poultry and Egg Board uh, and that was um, trying to combat a tr- an effort led by Truman to encourage people to eat less meat and poultry in order to conserve grain for foreign aid. Um, for those of you outside of the United States, um, the United States has been feeding all of their animals for eating some kind of corn. It's like once... Uh, the European immigrants realized how amazing corn was. They just kind of doubled down and they were like, only corn for everything as far as the eye can see. Corn for gas. Corn for clothes. Corn for plastic. For eating. Only corn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I wanted to take a larger role in providing foreign aid, which we did so in the form of corn, which we did talk about a little bit to your readers last week with our Shepherd's Pie episode. Um, so as a way of, I guess, publicly shaming the president into uh, agreeing to at least keep some poultry on the table for Thanksgiving, they presented him with a turkey. Now, President Reagan was the first president to pardon a turkey. He sent his turkey to the petting zoo as they had already purchased one for the White House dinner and they didn't need more than one turkey. He joked that uh, the reason he pardoned the turkey was to prevent questions from journalists regarding the Iran-Contra affair and all over North, which is kind of bold, especially for that time. No, I know, but to openly admit that you don't want to answer questions about a difficult topic and that you picked a cute thing that no one could ruin so that you didn't have to talk about a difficult topic is what we would expect of our current sitting president, I guess. Moving on. Well, that's enough politics for today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, George H.W. Bush instituted the pardon as part of the presentation and it's been continued ever since day. Um, at least one turkey every year in the United States is sent to a farm sanctuary or a zoo, which when I think about turkeys existing in a turkey sanctuary, I find it 
hilarious because amazingly turkeys are one of those animals that we have not threatened with extinction as a human consumer they're plentiful throughout the eastern seaboard they're not in danger and most of the turkeys consumed by people are farmed turkeys so it's a little weird to think that somewhere there's a large uh estate where turkeys can just Rain free. I hope they're happy. I mean, they are simple creatures. It does not take a lot to please them. So I imagine that as long as they have small insects to eat and rain to swallow, they're happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're great. Yeah. Now, this Thanksgiving looks vastly different from the Thanksgiving that we planned last year. I think last year we were discussing, like, you know, if you're traveling, ways to prep your sides and your turkey. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, if you're expecting guests, when to start preparing your turkey. But this year, Blender Kitchen's taking a very different stance. We encourage you not to travel and not to need to prepare a large turkey um, because there's a plague outside, folks. <laughs> and <laughs> it's better for all of us if we hold off on large Thanksgiving gatherings this year so that we can have giant Thanksgiving festivals next year. Just one big Thanksgiving. One large Thanksgiving. It rains for four months. One large vaccinated Thanksgiving. Oh, super vaccinated. Like, it should be. Anyway... <laughs> Um, so what are the things that we do to prepare for the holiday this year? I know in my house, uh, my partner and I are preparing a turkey breast because Mm -hmm. you don't need a 12 pound animal because the fur baby is not allowed people food as she's ruined her people food privileges. (laughs) So no turkey fur. (laughs) Um, but for those of us who do want more of that traditional feel, that Norman Rockwell dinner, how, how do we prepare for that? Like, what kinds of things should be put on our menus? Well, I mean, I, I, I think you can do everything. You just have to think smaller. Um, I, I, I think everything is still fair game you're just going to have a, a smaller group with you. So, I mean, I was uh, earlier today, I was, I was listening to an article where turkey farmers are having an issue because no one wants a 12 pound turkey this year. Uh, no. And so I, I think the turkey breast is an excellent way to go. Um, it's quite a bit cheaper. And I mean, if you want to cook a whole bird, do it. Just have a plan. Um, we were talking about food waste. And mm-hmm. you, that's only going to last a week in your fridge. Um, most food scientists would probably tell you three days in your fridge. So have a plan. How for long? It. Sorry, go ahead. So just just have a, have a, have a plan for it. So when Thanksgiving night, take your favorite bits off, um, and then cut off the breasts and chop that up. Have that for your Thanksgiving leftovers for your turkey sandwiches, and then I would. Carve the rest of the meat off the carcass and freeze it into portions. 
Um, so that as you get a hankering for turkey throughout the winter, um, as we all as, as we all quarantine further, um, you only have to pull out what you need for a meal, um, and then take those bones and make a stock, um, and you will just have wonderful turkey stock that you can use in literally any soup um, for the rest of the winter, um, and then you don't have to worry about turkey going bad on your wasting But my suggestion is go with a turkey breast, go with a chicken, um, go with, um, if you have access, um, one of my favorite things to do for Thanksgiving is um, Cornish hens and like everyone gets their own hen or half of a hen. Um, and just thinking smaller. And then if you've got family recipes, just look at them. If you're usually serving 10 people, just cut it in half. Um, and you've still got plenty of leftovers, um, but you're not wasting any food because I I think we will see food waste because everyone's using family recipes and go thinking their normal big Thanksgiving. And then come December 10th, it's all kind of gone bad in your fridge. How long? Say I'm a diehard. I must have a fully dressed turkey mm -hmm. to grace the center of my formal dining table. How long can I freeze that turkey? Like, how long will it still taste like turkey? Um, probably up to like three months. Um, Ooh. yeah. I mean, stuff lasts forever in the freezer. I mean, like, I'm again not a food scientist, not the, not your not your local FDA rep, um, but meat and stuff lasts quite a while in the freezer. Now, um, you mentioned family recipes. Mm -hmm. You know, Aunt Nora insists that I must make her green bean casserole. Of course. This is a dish that I don't particularly care for <laughs> on a regular Thanksgiving. Yeah. Should I do it, like, just for... You know, the feel, you know, I'm separated from my family. I should at least have a dish in their honor. Right? I mean, I, I think there's a middle ground. I, I love to take traditional recipes and kind of like look at them and like kind of go beautiful mind on them and take them apart and say, what do I love about this dish? So for green bean casserole, I love the crunchy onions. Everyone loves those French's crunchy onions. Apparently some people use mm -hmm. cornflakes. That just doesn't make any sense. But like, okay, That sounds so, like a Midwestern family. So the crispy onions, I like the, the meaty umaminess that you get from that mushroom soup. And I love a cr crisp, fresh green bean. And so you, so you look at that and you say, all right, what can I do? Or even you can Google it. I'm sure, I, I know for a fact, there are tons of people who have been like, I, I grew up in Ohio or Wisconsin and I have these memories and I want to recreate them, but I want, I want to take it up a notch. Some people might find that sacrilegious, that's fine. Um, but but look, figure out what you like about it and make it your own. Find a new recipe that gives you those nostalgic bits of that flavor that you love and make it your own. Um, and then 
especially now, like this Thanksgiving is a great Thanksgiving to experiment. And you can show up next year, kick in the door and be like, hey, Aunt Nora, you got your green bean casserole, everyone come try mine. And if you knocked it out of the park, then, you know, Aunt Nora might be a little pissed at you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the key to your first family gathering after a plague is to start drama. I mean, there's always got to be drama. always drama but no that's a great suggestion and it's a great way of still having everything you love and not having to worry about it just moldering away in the back of your fridge like so many of your other quarantine prepared meals yeah don't don't waste good green beans yeah um it's i know myself i usually like to volunteer around soup kitchens around this time Mm -hmm. There are more hungry people. It's colder outside. You know, extra hands are always needed. What do I do? You know, do I risk going out among the soup kitchen? Is there a way for me to maybe repurpose some of those extras I made for my Thanksgiving dinner to feed the homeless? Like, what's the... I want to be safe, but I also want to give thanks to my <laughs> bounty and share the wealth. Yeah. I mean, like, is it possible to do that? I, I, I think it is. Um, I I mean, the key word around the water cooler for the last six months has been pivot. And a lot of food pantries, food banks, CSAs have done this. And so you can look at your local community boards, look at volunteer match, all these places, they they need people because a lot of the people who traditionally volunteer for these roles are older folks who really shouldn't go out. Um, but if you find a place that has pivoted to some sort of outdoor distribution, go wear a mask. You can even reach out to these folks. Most of these organizations have wonderful volunteer representatives and volunteer managers you can talk to them it's like hey what are your safety precautions are is there hand sanitizer available are you requiring everyone to wear a mask um and for me and again like i just want to really stress like this is my personal feeling and my personal risk assessment everyone is granted to their own at this time i'm not dr fauci um but as long as you're in outdoor distribution space um I, I think it, I think it's definitely worth it because people need volunteers. A lot of people need food right now. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, are probably going to have some really crappy Thanksgivings. Um, and if if you can, like, I'm the type of person where if I can help give someone a better Thanksgiving experience, um, I want to do that. So that's my personal take. Um, I would definitely avoid like if someone's like, nope, we're going to cram you in the same um, like kitchen basement. Um, that we do every year, I would avoid that. But um, I think it's definitely worth looking at volunteer opportunity lists um, and just do a little investigation. What if I'm not quite at needing to visit a you know soup kitchen for my Thanksgiving meal, but I, you know, I've got my unemployment and uh, dear listeners. I would never give such personal information on the radio. This is a hypothetical. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've got my unemployment and I've got a little bit saved away and I still want to have a fantastic meal, but I can't afford even the $13 it's going to cost me for, you know, a turkey breast. Like, how can I have a great meal and not feel like 
I'm relegated to TV dinners and chopped binges. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, again, it's thinking about pivoting um, and, and, and looking at your menu. Like, you can even put together your dream menu. If it makes you sad, you don't need to, but put together your dream menu and say, what do I really love about this menu? Okay, I need a bird, I need gravy, I need stuffing, I need mashed potatoes, I need a veggie, like that across the board, can of cranberry sauce. We'll throw in a can of cranberry sauce, a pie. Um, and pick out what you really love about it. And then then just, just <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's kind of a privileged phrase, but shop smart. Um, and, and look, so you don't necessarily need to go for turkey, but there's also chicken. Chicken is great. It's very similar to turkey. Um, I've done chickens plenty of years um, for Thanksgiving just because my family wasn't big turkey people and it's it was pretty hard to find a, a, a turkey less than 10 pounds in Western Pennsylvania when I was growing up. So looking at chicken as an alternative for turkey, um, looking at everything you can make from scratch. Um, I think people can lean towards pre-made stuff for Thanksgiving because usually they're making a huge meal and they're trying to be a host and take care of guests and all of these things all at the same time. Now you got more time on your hands. You have a smaller gathering. You actually have time to sit down and watch the football game. Um, so look at what else you can make from, from, from scratch. A, a, a jar of gravy or a packet of gravy can cost two or three times as much as it takes to take butter, flour, and stock and, and, and make your own gravy. Um, and, and, and again, it's just taking, taking another look at your menu, kind of pulling out what you really love and what you really want, um, and thinking about just the most cost-effective way of going about it, which might be slightly different than your traditional, but you might find something new and something that you really love doing on your way. Yeah, I, I like that outlook. I think this has definitely been a year where we've had to rethink how we feel about most things. And I, I like the idea of being able to keep some of the traditional, even while we look for solutions. And if you don't mind our boldness, <laughs> what, what are some things that you're planning on having at your Thanksgiving table this year? Um, so for me, I'm picking, like, I, I think to like kind of go back to your original question, like picking one thing that really speaks to Thanksgiving for you. Um, and for me, that is my mom's chestnut stuffing. Um, that like, it, we all have these for no reason. It just screams like this is Thanksgiving and it's not Thanksgiving without it. Um, and I, th I think she got it from her mom or my dad's mom. Um, but it's, it's just a fun thing to do. And like, for me, a lot of those memories attached to it because for making really good stuffing from home, you need stale bread. You don't want fresh bread. And you also don't want good bread. You don't want to be like going out and buying like your like $8 loaf of like rustic sourdough. We- I'm sorry, who's paying $8 for a loaf of bread? I live in Brooklyn, it happens. Um, <laughs> Bake your own bread. On occasion. But so for this, you you want a sponge that's just gonna soak up all of the flavors of Thanksgiving. So we 
go by the rule of you want to go to the grocery store and whatever is just to the right of the Wonder Bread, that's the bread you want. Just like good old preservative full country, country white. Um, <laughs> and every Thanksgiving, it's 8 p.m. the night before. And it was always me, my mom, my sister, like over a bowl, breaking the bread where you rip, you tear the bread into bite-sized bits. Um, and then you lay it out on a sheet tray and you just throw it in the oven, um, like an off oven overnight to let the bread stale, lose its moisture. So again, the next day, you can just like pump those little croutons full of flavor. Um, and then, I mean, it's just, it again, comfort food. So you turn around the next day, you melt a stick of butter, you saute, celery and onion in it you pour that over it you add an egg so it binds together a ton of thyme and sage and parsley um and then the lovely little added bit is um uh chestnuts where we always get the the packed in water chestnuts so you don't have to like shell your own chestnuts um I was going to ask you, is this a kind of roast your own I mean, deal? I mean, like, I tried it one year when I was like, I'm a foodie now. I'm going to roast my own chestnuts. And mom was like, I'm just going to buy you a jar of chestnuts just in case. I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to need it, mom. Like 19 year old <laughs> me, I, I gave up like after like the second chestnut that I had to shell myself. It was awful. <laughs> um, and so, and they give you the like, I don't know, they're kind of like, they're waxy and they're sweet. Um, and they just add this, this this great little depth of flavor to your really salty, savory um, stuffing. And so like, that's what I'm going to be making um, this year for Thanksgiving table. Well, Alex, it's always wonderful to have you on the podcast. <laughs> And I'm now dream. I don't even like stuffing, and I'm dreaming of this chestnut yeah, stuffing. Yeah. Although you do have a talent to get me to eat things that I typically don't like, such as goat cheese. I mean, goat cheese is bomb. I mean, it smells like goats, it- and it tastes like goats. Okay, so. all good cheese smells. So. <laughs> I don't know. Kobe Jack is a pretty good cheese. Okay, we can. And I smell. Uh, we, we need to move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a it's year to be celebrating, especially celebrating a holiday that's so much about being together when we have to be yeah. apart. But I think it's that's why you know I think. So much has happened this year that it's important to take time to really enjoy life, you know? And not all of it is terrible all the time. And I think that's important to remember. Yeah, and I I think, I mean, you you hear a lot of people talking about how they've actually gotten closer to their family members throughout the pandemic because they never, they they kind of took for granted how much time we could just spend together. Um, and I, I, I think it is an opportunity for reflection and to, to, to figure out the way that you can still have those moments um, with your family, connecting virtually, um, and then also look at what what maybe you you've missed before 
out of Thanksgiving um, and and look for new things and say, okay, this is this is new, this is different, but it's not necessarily necessarily bad. And there's there 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 are things to new things to experience um, that can be the beautiful part of a holiday that we've never experienced before. Yeah. Oh, thank you for your positive <laughs> outlook on this podcast. I try. Um, that's all. <laughs> that's all you've got for you today, dear listeners. Dear, our wonderful community of kitchen nerds. Um, but we do want to remind you once again that it is a plague outside. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. No more than 10 people at a family gathering. And if you live in a city apartment, you're capped at two, just as a reminder. <laughs> and, you know, we just want you to stay safe and to, to have a wonderful Thanksgiving next year as well. 